Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Hi, everybody, and thank you so much for joining the Managed Care podcast produced by the American Journal of Managed Care. I'm your host, Mandy Bishop. I am the CEO and co-founder of Aloha Health, and I am joined today by the luminous Helen Figge, who is the Senior Vice President of Global Strategies and Development for Lumera DX, as well as being the State of New York National Liaison for HIMSS, the co-chair of the Health 2.0 Boston, and a prestigious member of a number of advisory boards and faculty positions in institutions all throughout the Northeast. Helen, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks, Mandy. It's great to be here. Excellent, excellent. I know you and I had an opportunity to meet recently at the Most Powerful Women in Healthcare IT event. And, and I have to say, you had one of the most fabulous kind of personal stories about why you are involved in healthcare and the things that drive you. And it really resonated with me. And, and I just wanted to thank you for sharing and um, give you an opportunity to talk to us a little bit about what got you started and why are you so passionate about this field? Well, you know, um, it dates back way back into my, you know, the beginnings of your, your existence. And uh, my mother really inspired me. She had a, a high school technical education. She genuinely loved people. My father um, was a um, prisoner of war in World War II, and he came over here after the war, and he had very little um, education, and he spoke and wrote English very poorly. And um, coupled with that was my grandfather who lived with us throughout my life. And um, he also, too, was a, um, born um, in Russia and uh, didn't speak English or read um, or write um, very clearly. And so all of that coupled together really made me appreciate, you know, my humble beginnings. But also as my grandfather um, became um, ill, and he had a lot of chronic diseases. Right. I used to go to the local pharmacy with him and his inability to read or um, write English. I spoke for him and it became evident to me, even when I was in fifth and sixth grade, um, you know, being able to understand healthcare and how important it was really inspired me to make a difference as I grew older and more mature of what I wanted to do with my life. And I, it really resonated with me in the beginning, way in the beginning of a person's um, ability or inability to understand their surroundings and, and, and how it, it, it really evolves into a passion of what you want to accomplish. Absolutely. So you had very early on experience in what we call now kind of the social determinants of health and all these complex and social needs that influence both our, our health itself as well as our ability to manage our health effectively. Yeah, I, it, absolutely. Because you, know, you take it in, in, in two, two segments, if you will. Number one, we all have to stay healthy, or if we become ill, we have to rely on the healthcare system to, you know, make us make us well. And if you don't understand it or you can't communicate within it, um, that is presents within itself a, a task independent of the disease that you're grappling with. So it really matters 
your understanding of healthcare, but more importantly, how you react to it and how you are able to maneuver into it. Absolutely. And, and I know that I feel like right now the industry as a whole is struggling with this challenge of being able to personalize care to account for these types of kind of real world scenarios. And I know that, that you spend a lot of time uh, on advisory boards and, and in faculty positions advising things like public health you know, public health departments and helping them understand real world scenarios. Can you talk to me about the industry and how you feel like this transformation might, might come and this understanding and realization that these things matter? Yeah. Uh, you know, I learned very quickly in healthcare. I'm a pharmacist by trade and I went to, to um, Boston um, to pharmacy school. I remember going on a Greyhound bus with two suitcases. I left home in New York and I uh, took the bus into Boston, and then from there, the rest is history. But, you know, I learned very quickly in healthcare that introducing the right technologies in the right circumstance and at the right time really made a difference in a person's healthcare experience when delivering or receiving it. And it became very evident to me between the nuances and, and the growth in healthcare and, and the disease states. Um, cures for them and the increase in chronic disease that we're seeing and its management and the lack of streamlining and managing patients and their disease really was paramount to creating positive outcomes. And I think, you know, it's one thing to collect data and see data, but it's another to really be able to use data to really make a difference in a person's outcome. There are some diseases we surely can prevent, but there's others we can't for whatever reason. And I think we have to be able to be available to support any effort when it comes to delivering healthcare. And I think my passion really comes from the practicality of it. My mother had terminal breast cancer and she was given six months to live and lasted four and a half years. And ironically, her breast cancer was missed in a chart um, because one sentence in a chart, she actually had osteoarthritis. She had an x-ray right. and the orthoped orthopedic doctor had one sentence in a chart that we later found that said, um, suspicious findings cannot rule out cancer. And that's oh, wow. all it said. But my mother missed the conversation because she was more concerned. The doctor never followed up. It stayed in a chart for about three or four years. And then one day she went in uh, to uh, her doctor and the cancer had spread. And it was already obvious previously in a paper chart that was missed. So wow. had my mother had an electronic medical record, you know, that may have been picked up. So. I'm passionate about the technology that can eliminate such things that could be avoided. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think definitely the emergence and kind of continuing maturity of the electronic medical records and then of the analytics that are being built on the electronic medical records, like this is exactly the type of scenario that those technologies are designed to catch and to be able to identify more and more of these types of cases. Exactly. But yeah, I think, I think part of the challenge we still face as an industry is 
we have to be looking for it. And that, you know, from a real world perspective, that's something that I'm curious if it comes up in the classes and, and with your, the students, that the people that you work with, understanding that just because you are an osteopath, you're not necessarily looking for uh, breast cancer, right? But it's something, if it's a finding, if there's an opportunity for you to address it, then it's something that's important to not just note, but to ensure that the patient understands and to be able to pass on that information. And, and I feel like too often we have blinders on, right? We work in our silos and our, of our very, very clear specialties, whether that's an IT specialty or uh, a clinical specialty. And this real longitudinal view of the patient as a whole, I, I feel like that's, that's a, a, a mindset that we don't yet have or we don't yet carry very well. I would definitely agree with that, Mandy, because, you know, in a lot of my um, teachings and in my writings and when I present, it's, it's, you have to take those, those, those blinders off and all the technology, you know, at the end of the day, we really introduce them to streamline um, data, present data, accumulate it to make it practical and meaningful. And we really want people to have the necessary information at their fingertips. So as we evolve and as we continue with healthcare, you know, it's transformation and it's, you know, we need it sustainable. And in order for right. it to be a sustainable model, um, we've got to find the balance between the human factors and the technology that could empower the human factor to be successful. And um, that's going to be more and more important given, you know, whether we have shortages of clinicians or not, whether we have expenditures that we need to address or not. You know, humans, regardless of where we are in the world, you will get cancer, you will get something, and best practices are generally universally accepted regardless of where you are in the world. How they treat breast cancer stage three is probably, you know, in the United States, exactly the same as how they would do it in Japan. So um, the more universal we could approach things, the more streamlined and the more accessible without overburdening people who otherwise may be, you know, technophobic as well. Oftentimes people think, well, gee, I have a, you know, an iPhone and, you know, I'm very techno savvy when in fact, perhaps they're not. And we want to make it very user friendly um, at the at, for the end user. We want the patient experience to be successful. Absolutely, and it's interesting. I think that there's we want the patient experience to be successful, and I, but I also think true from a clinician experience perspective that being able to yeah, as you'd put it, you know, the, the right technology at the right time in the right circumstances and you know, being able to deliver that combination is important both for, for clinicians as well as for, for patients. And, and being able to navigate and understand kind of the hesitation that many on, on either the clinician side or the patient side of being able to understand the challenges and potential barriers that they might have to adopting new technologies um, or, you know, in the case of the clinician, maybe there's, there's a certain um, apprehension of the burden that's placed on them in reporting, for example, you know, all the reporting measures that come, 146 different quality measures associated with diabetes and, you know, how to most effectively streamline, as you put it, that 
care continuum and make sure that technology becomes an enabler rather than an inhibitor. Is that tension felt in, you know, in your experience with the clinicians that you deal with? Yes, um, unfortunately, you know, when technology was introduced, electronic medical records, and now, you know, we're getting into the mobile device technologies and, and those other aspects, um, you know, the technology was really geared to assist. And oftentimes it, it didn't take into account a person's workflow or how they think. So, you know, when you would have a paper chart in front of you, you may go to the fourth tab because you were looking for that data first. You know, it was all, if people remember, we had, you know, soaps, soap notes. And, right. and um, you know, the charts were, um, you know, um, designated x-rays, labs, you know, right. updates and things. Well, that was a workflow that, although it was a paper chart, um, perhaps a, um, a cardiologist would look for a different value first, and then, um, you know, an OBGYN would look for a different type of value. The technologies that were originally introduced forced many clinicians to follow the same thought process and same workflow patterns, and that created a lot of frustration because not one size fits all. And it took a little while for people to realize workflow is just as important as the technology that you implement because at the end of the day, a clinician wants to be able to see the data they need at that specific time, not what you want them to see until they get to the point they need to see. And I think now people have had epiphanies saying, okay, workflow, you've got this technology. Now, how would you like to use it? And um, I think there's still a little bit of an uphill challenge with some of the technologies because people or clinicians or even patients now wanting to be able to get into the portals to see their own data right. only want to turn on the computer and click a button. They don't want to click six buttons to get to the screen they need. So that past history now I think is resolving, but you know, it was pain points that people still want to talk about. And I hopefully we're past that or at least soon to be. Soon getting past that. Yeah, I think, I think so. I've, I've been thinking about what my predictions are for health IT for the next decade. And, and I do think that uh, the differentiated user experience is going to become foremost, right? Like up until recently, we've been able to compete on functionality, but the standards and kind of the mandates for data capture and, and, um, and things are making, I think, the differentiated user experience. That's going to be the next frontier, and, and everything is going to be standardized, and the amount of data that's captured is going to be standardized, but we're going to have to be able to deliver on an improved workflow. We're going to have to be able to deliver on making the UI and the application useful and making sure that the information that's presented is valuable to the person who's using it at that particular time, you know, whether that's a clinician. Yeah, I, and uh, from a mobile technology standpoint, thinking about workflow, thinking about like patient workflow and what the opportunities are for mobile technology in healthcare for patients. And I know that this is kind of near and dear to your space now and your work with Lumera DX. What do you think about what's gonna be happening in the next decade with mobile technology and, and digital health tools for patients? 
Well, it's certainly going to um, expand the ability for the end user, the patients, because in the end, we're all, you know, sometime or another in our lifetime, a patient. Right. Um, and that ability to be able to get to data, communicate with your clinician, um, and also, you know, get results in real time versus having to wait, you know, a week for a lab result or a refill or anything like that. My one challenge with mobile devices, I want to make sure that the mobile devices are, again, used correctly to empower the patient to better communicate with their clinician and even their family, you know, and caregivers. We don't want them isolated and avoiding the interaction with the clinicians, but rather empowering them to be better educated or the clinician to have the most up-to-date information to better um, support the patient who is in need of their services, whether it be a chronic disease they're suffering from right. or an acute illness. But, you know, the mobile device devices, we want to make sure that they are not replacing that compassionate relationship that I think is really important with the caregivers and the patient, because at the end of the day, no one can replace the art of being human. Hopefully we can't be replaced, right? <laughs> I, I really sincerely hope so. I saw recently where an, an AI um, an AI algorithm actually wrote a script for a movie and accepted an award for the first AI, you know, one entirely AI written script. So I, I'm, I think that there are some AI developers out there who are hoping very much for the singularity, you know, the, the replacement of human consciousness with AI. And I, I sincerely hope it doesn't happen, honestly. I, I really like it. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in, in, in the real sense, we're seeing mobile devices now talking. And, you know, we have a pandemic, for instance, of obesity in the world, yeah. regardless of, you know, where you are. Probably three out of four people are overweight. Well, yep. obesity causes prediabetes. We have people now living longer getting sicker quicker because prediabetes is so asymptomatically you know driven that by time you have the symptoms of say diabetes oftentimes due to and this is like the type 2 uh, okay. oftentimes due to overweight and you know complacent lifestyles um, it's already too late to have it reversed so we want to jump the bandwagon in the beginning and I'm hoping mobile devices will you know, have people have epiphanies about their health. The one thing I think people have not uncovered yet in all of healthcare to make it sustainable, because we, we're trying to build a sustainable model of healthcare for generations to come. And the one caveat is how do you get a person to care? Well, what I find interesting is our de my definition of being well could be completely different than your definition of being well. I read an article about you, Mandy, where you were getting interviewed and then you were walking on your your um, your treadmill at the same time of you know being interviewed and you are multitasker, so you know what the state of wellness should be. But your definition of being well may be different than someone else's, and that's another. Yeah issue I think we're going to run into because the parameters with which we say you are well, whether it be, you know, your ideal body weight minus plus or minus, um, I think it, we have to stop totally generalizing it yeah. because people fall out of, 
you know, it's the, it's the um, gaining weight, losing weight epidemic. People, after they get to a certain point in time when they gain so many pounds uh, and then they lose it, their body's been already trained to be at that certain weight and people gain the weight back. So we want sustainability. So I think you've got to look at an individual and say, what could you maintain? Right. Not what I expect you to do. And I think if we come to that realization, that will be the epiphany as well for healthcare. We, of course, we want you to be, you know, perfect numbers at all times, but on the off chance you're not, we still want you to live a healthy life as possible. So I think that's another, uh, uh, another avenue I hope people start thinking about outside of all the technology you know, my, my fear is I don't want anyone replaced as a clinician. Um, I want them energized and synergized with uh, yeah. the technology. I like that, energized and synergized. And, and I also, as you were talking about, you know, the, the, the parameters by which you are well can vary person to person. I, I was thinking of my own experience in going to physical therapy and completing one of those activities of daily living questionnaires, right? And, and they're, yes. they're universal for anybody who goes to PT, but I know that their specific metrics are for Medicare qualifying reimbursements. But right. obviously I'm, I'm not of Medicare age. And you know, so it was interesting to me completing that act, those activities of daily living, I'm filling it out and I'm filling it out with my own context, right? So if, if I consider my daily living to be, I was running five miles a day. I was doing six days a week, you know, lifting weights in the gym. So for me, I was unable to complete what I considered to be my activities of daily living, right? So there were a number of questions on there about being able to lift, you know, lift things and being able to, to walk or, or move appropriately. And, and for me, like for my normal at that time, I, I was not able to do those things. But then if, right. if you compare my answers to someone who, who was actually experiencing problems and having activity, you know, doing activities of daily living, like our numeric answers might be very similar, but contextually right. the information is very different, right? So understanding that nuance right. that, you know, being able to understand the, the context of the answers and the motivators, like why am I in physical therapy and what is my goal I think, I think you're right. I think that's, that's missed, that sustainability and maintainability of, of a lifestyle, like understanding motivation. I think that's a huge opportunity space for digital health is, is to be able to, to look beyond the, the, the specific metric, you know, to be able to look contextually at all of the dimensions that are included in health that would inform healthcare and being able to provide that contextual realization of all of the numbers that we have to crunch in order for us to, you know, to meet our reimbursement goals and, and to match up with the current you know, mandated programs that we have to be able to respond to. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. So, you know, I, I think as we move into, you know, the next five years, I, I'm hoping that, you know, healthcare will reward those that, at least try to, you know, stay healthy with good, um, you know, social programs and um, things like that. Right. And I, I hope we, I hope we get past the fact of measuring and forcing clinicians to, you know, fill in the blanks, but rather I'd like to see a healthier, you know, sitting on a park bench and seeing everybody as healthy as they could be um, given the circumstances of course that they're given. So, um, 
that's where I hope, you know, we're called. You and I both are called probably disruptors in healthcare because we think outside the box saying, well, what else can we do? Right. What else could you be thinking about? And disruptors are really great people because if you have a view, you can think it through versus just following the norm. And that's what I hope, you know, given the new, um, you know, new, um, era of the elections and wherever they whatever they may bring i hope everyone thinks saying okay let's start thinking this through and get it right once and for all or at least magnified to the point where most of us got it right and i i think that being able to from a disruptive standpoint if you could redesign the system right if so if everything if everything that we know right now so the the affordable care act if you know if if everything were gone and we had to start fresh, then perhaps the goal of this new, brave, you know, brave new world of healthcare could be right. health, designing the system to promote health rather than designing the system to promote just sick enough to maintain a revenue stream, which is, I think, the system that we have right. now, right? That's exactly it. Well said. Well yeah. said. Yeah. And I think that there's there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for for people who are different thinkers right now, and and there's you know, digital health has a lot of innovators in this space um, who are taking advantage of you know what they perceive to be up, upcoming opportunities to fill these niches and and to be able to leverage things like mobile technology for remote monitoring solutions and telehealth solutions and being able to tackle problems like access to care in rural and, and very underserved areas and, and being able to really provide kind of the, the most amount of care at the most effective price point to, to try to cover all of those areas and be able to scale the model for digital health to, to truly make a difference you know, on, a, on a broad scale across all of the people who are in so desperate need of, of healthcare. And I, I think that we have an opportunity. It's a really unique time, right? It's a unique time. We have a unique opportunity. And I think that we're honestly, people like you and I are morally bound to try to make a difference in that world. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we really want, you know, I, I zoom in on breast cancer maybe because it's close and dear to my heart because, you know, here I was this big shot pharmacy student. I was in Boston and all that. And, you know, my mom sat with um, a very low-grade cancer probably for several years that probably would have been cut out and cured. And instead, right. it lingered in her body for, you know, four or five years until it spread. And, you know, that type of, you know, awareness, I think. And we all pay for it in the end as, as consumers. You know, the majority of people who consume health care, um, you know, is a minority of patients. Right. And we want to support them because in the end, we all we all could benefit from as many people being well as they can. And we want that, you know, breast cancer patient who lives in rural Idaho have the same amount of viability and the possibility for a cure as the person who lives next door to, you know, MD Anderson. Um, and that's really what we hope for with these mobile devices, telehealth. It's the ability to go remote and still have the same quality of care, but not to replace it saying, okay, I'm in, you know, I'm on Fifth Avenue down in New York City and I'm doing mobile devices. Now I don't have to walk down the street um, one block to my doctor. No, 
Um, you should still go see your doctor and get that one-on-one -on -one attention, but it's giving you easier access to data. So right. it's a whole conversation, but in the end, we want everyone, regardless of race, creed, color, your social economic status, to have the cha same chance of a life and an enjoyment of that life as everyone else. And I think that's our passion. I know, Mandy, you have been a spokesperson for, you know, for all of us for, for, for a long time. And at the end of the day, we want to take care of each other because in the end, we all are affected by each other. Exactly. We are all, we are all connected. I firmly believe that kind of every, every human, yeah, every human is connected and, and what, what impacts the, the good of one can impact the good of many. And, and I think that there's, um, I, I hope that that same passion for kind of universal good and trying to find ways to, to not just do good in, you know, do good for the elite, but to be able to do good at scale and help everyone. I, I hope that you find that same passion in the classrooms where you're teaching and went on those boards of the organizations where, where you serve. Is that, like, is that passion, does that resonate with the, the students and the, the, the organizations that you work with? Yeah, what's beautiful about, you know, being able to lecture and be on, you know, advisory panels, it's the fact of bringing these type of insights into people who, or individuals who really want to, you know, create and see, see the other side of things. I think right. there's, you know, two aspects of being educated, right? It's like, what do you have to memorize? And what do you have to learn to, you know, get through the hoops and, 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 and the bells and whistles and stuff, but the practical sense of what it means and what you can do with information that you learn in the classroom, but can bring into the real world. And I firmly believe, you know, I had dyslexia. I was terribly, um, terribly um, the underdog, and I, you know, I tell this story that I flunked kindergarten, and who, who flunks kindergarten, right? <laughs> who? It's circles, cutting paper. I literally flunked kindergarten. Um, I couldn't hold scissors. I remember I was the only left-handed person, and um, so that that sort of like um, press, you know, put in me um the yearning to learn and it right. always took me a hard time i could never read a book it would take me 10 times longer to read a book but if i saw it in the practical sense the hands-on i could catch it in a minute so i think bringing those skills out of the classroom into the real world i think we're going to have a lot of innovators um that are really gonna say it could be done this way versus that way and that and and that's what i hope and that's why I teach and I write and I'm on these, you know, panels to mm -hmm. really say it could, it's like this somewhere else in the world, but it's something else somewhere else in the world as well. And travel to places and perhaps I was able to view it. I could at least bring back those experiences and that's a wealth of knowledge in and above itself. And I encourage everyone to really, you know, give back. I, I follow the rule of six degrees of separation in the world. There's 3.6 billion people in the world. Yep. And for every person you meet, there must have been a reason, right? Because there were other people you could have met, but you didn't. So I'm a firm believer, as I met you, as I met other people and women in the industry, you know, everybody's got a purpose and we all 
feed off these each other's purpose to synergize into something great. I mean, that's how I view my existence. And um, maybe I think that's how I've gotten to be as hopefully as successful as I am currently because of that. Well, thank you so much, Helen Figgy from Lumira DX. This is Mandy Bishop from the Managed Care Podcast, signing off with another fantastic episode conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you.